1: Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, welcome to a Sunday edition of Inside Arsenal. I hope you're all well, wherever you're watching or listening to this around the world, you're having a very, very good weekend. It's been a little bit quiet on the Arsenal front in the last day or so after such a pretty manic period in the build-up to the weekend, but there's still quite a lot to discuss today. We'll talk about Granit Xhaka, we'll talk about Emma Smith-Rowe, Pablo Mari's put out a very nice statement, I thought... Was worth looking out. We've got lots of questions and comments from you about various topics as well. So, still plenty to get our teeth into on this Sunday. So, we'll start with Granite Jacko, shall we? Because I keep getting lots and lots of questions about Granite and what's happening with him. Um, of course, at the end of last season, it was absolutely an absolute certainty that he was gone. He said his big goodbyes to the crowd in that final game of the season. Um, And, you know, he just walked around so slowly behind everyone else, saying all his goodbyes. He said goodbyes to everyone inside the stadium as well, behind the scenes. He was saying his goodbyes. But what are we now? Well, over a month after the end of the season, and he's still here. That move to Leverkusen has not happened. So I keep getting lots of questions. What happened in Granite? Is he going to stay? Is he going to stay? Well, I mean, I can never say never. You know, he's a hugely popular player. Mikel Arteta values him highly. Um, I think in an ideal situation, Granite Jack would probably stay for a bit for Arsenal, especially going into the Champions League because of the experience he brings, because of the quality he brings, how popular he is behind the scenes. But having said all that, I still think right now, while I'm sitting here, my sort of hunch or my understanding of the situation is still that Granite Jacket is very, very likely to leave this summer and head to Leverkusen. And that transfer is kind of on hold a little bit at the moment while Arsenal do other things, bring some players in. Once those players are through the door, we've already seen Kai Havertz arrive. Obviously, Declan Rice, fingers crossed, will be very, very soon as well. And then I think that might lead to the Leverkusen thing moving forward. There are stories at the moment that Arsenal perhaps want to try and get a little bit money, more money out of Leverkusen. I can't say that for sure, um, but that is some of the reports that are doing the rounds that maybe Arsenal are looking for a little bit more money for them. But, um, you know, Granite is certainly was expected to leave at the end of last season. Like I said, he said his goodbyes on the pitch, to the fans, behind the scenes. And I don't think right now that that is changing. Like I said, you can never say never. Of course, things can happen. Players can change. Granit Xhaka has been very, very close to leaving Arsenal more than once before, and he's ended up staying. But I still think this time, where we are right now, the likelihood is that this move to Leverkusen does happen. Happens for him, for his family. It's a big long contract on the table from Leverkusen. He's not getting that length of contract here at Arsenal, going back to Germany with his family. Um, and it's all sort of come together to tick the boxes as to why Granite would be open to this move just by Arsenal finally getting back into the Champions League and him playing such a key, key part in that. So, yeah, for all the questions that I've had, everyone's sending them in about Granite. That's all I can kind of say at the moment about it that. From where I sit right now, from the people that I've spoken to, I'm still expecting this one to go through uh, at some point pretty soon this summer. Okay, so that's the latest on Granite Xhaka. Now, Declan Rice is obviously going to be very, very key to this Xhaka move going through. Should Declan Rice not happen for whatever reason, despite things being agreed with West Ham right now, But as we know, the full payment structure of this deal is not quite done and dusted and signed off until that happens. Then this transfer cannot go through and declamized cannot be Arsenal's club record signing. I do expect it to happen. You know, I'm not I don't think there's going to be some massive U-turn and these talks are going to collapse. Certainly not from where I'm sitting right now, but it is, you know, there's still talks to be had. Uh, to get this one over, you know, fully, fully, fully over the line. But um, it is still going on. I think there's a big hint that I don't know if any of you have seen yet, but here on the West Ham website, look, what name is missing there? What name can't you have on the back of your West Ham shirt at the moment? Very glaring admission from that list is, of course, their captain, Declan Rice which makes a lot of sense because if you're West Ham why would you be selling shirts with Declan Rice's name on the back of it now I think this this says a lot in terms of what West Ham are thinking um, and how close this move is to going through so um, you know normally he'd be there Declan Rice number 41 I'm pretty sure soon you'll be able to get that name and that number on the back of your shirt at Arsenal I'm expecting him to take 41 at Arsenal Um, obviously that's not confirmed yet but I do expect that will happen and Declan Rice will be Arsenal's new number 41 very, very soon. Hopefully by the end of this week, it will become very, very clear that this is going to go through and um, and everyone can kind of move on. Because it needs to happen now, doesn't it? It's dragged on for so long. We've all been waiting for it. We just want to see Declan Rice in that Arsenal shirt. Know he's there. And then the rest of things can happen this summer in terms of moving players on, which is going to happen, as I said, about the Granit Xhaka type thing. Um, and Arsenal can focus on other areas when it comes to the squad building that is taking place at the club at the moment. One player who could potentially benefit again from Granite Xhaka leaving, um, of course, this summer is this man who I've spoken about a lot recently, Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, if you're looking at this and watching this on YouTube, you can see um, Tom Barkley there. Excellent reporter at the Sun. He's overdoing England under twenty ones at the moment. Where Emil Smith Rowe is in action at the European Championships. They're playing tonight actually uh, against court, uh, Portugal in the quarter final. Fingers crossed, England can get through, book their spot in the semis. Um, he's done an interview, Tom, with Emil over there. Talks about a wide range of things. Talks about Declan Rice, um, how impressive Declan Rice is. You know, Emil Smith Rowe, when he said when he went over with England when he was in the senior team, he said he was blown away by just how good. Declan Rice was at so many things he said he wasn't expecting it and he was that that good um he also talked a little bit about uh, Kai Havertz's arrival because we kind of look at that position which appears that Mikel Arteta has got earmarked for Kai Havertz that kind of granite Xhaka type role whether it's the exact same position um that granite's going to play, or whether there's going to be a slight tweak to the system with Kai Havertz in there. But it certainly looks like that left-sided number eight role is the role that Kai Havertz has been earmarked for from Arsenal, McKellar Arteta even calling him midfielder in that announcement video. And I think that's also an area where we could see Emil Smith-Rowe play quite a lot of minutes this this season in that role. So it's going to be extra competition for him. And, and in that interview with Tom, Tom asked Emil about that. Um, and he, this is what he had to say about Kind of keeping an eye on what's going on with the transfer window and Kai Havertz. He said, I see what happens and obviously it's good for the club to add strength to the team. I feel like the additions we're making are really going to help the team progress again. It's really exciting, so hopefully we can go one step further next season. Of course, um, the arrival of Havertz bring extra competition, but this is football. You've got to just get on with it. I've got to keep working hard and it's healthy competition. I've got to keep fighting. And that's just the right mindset. It's a mindset you have to have. If you're at a club like Arsenal, you cannot expect just to be given opportunities. You've got to earn the opportunities. And that I think is what Mikel Arteta is all about. It's what he's brought to this squad. It's how he's improved this squad and the mindset at this club is that it's about earning your opportunities. If you earn them, you'll get them, and then you can try and keep your place in the team. And I think that that competition is going to be so so crucial to Arsenal next season, knowing. That you can't afford to rest on your laurels because there's someone right behind you in the squad waiting to take your place if you do that. Last season, Arsenal fell short. and I've said this so many times. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but they fell short not because of the starting 11, but because the squad wasn't good enough. When those key players missed out in the starting 11, the players who came in just weren't at the required level to ensure that the drop off in standard and in form and in performances was not that great. But it was. The drop-off was big. You saw that when Rob Holding, for example, came in for William Saliba, And that's not digging out Rob Holding. It's just a fact. And there was other areas as well. And so Arsenal need to be better in the first 17 or 18 in the squad, not just to start at 11. If you can have Smith Road chomping at the bit, firing on Olsen, really pushing Kai Havertz for his place in the team, that's only going to benefit Arsenal and the club and the team and fans, of course. So, um, yeah, hopefully everyone's got that mindset and the extra competition, the new signers coming in, this summer are certainly going to help Arsenal improve with that. Uh, OK, let's quickly talk about Pablo Mari. I want to talk about Cesc Fabregas as well, and I'm going to talk about him in a minute because he's, of course, announced his retirement. But I thought this was nice from Pablo Mari. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see what I'm talking about. If not, and you're listening on podcast, you can. Um, it's it's basically Pablo Mari sent out a little bit of a message after his move to Monza was made permanent yesterday and fully announced. Pablo took to his social media's, and gave a little message to my to Arsenal fans. He said, as my contract with Arsenal comes to an end, I wanted to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude um, to thank each and every one of you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to represent, represent this great and historic club for all the memories we lived together and for the, for the support I always received. It's been an immense honour to wear the Arsenal jersey and to win two titles with this club. The Gunners will always have... Place in my heart. Now, I, did, I spoke about Pablo a bit yesterday. Obviously, it didn't quite work out. He only made 22 appearances. He came in in that first transfer window in the January when Arsenal didn't really have any money, and they bought Pablo Mari and Cedric Suarez. But he was always such a popular player um behind the scenes. Pablo Mari, everyone liked him. He was really he he settled in really well. He made a big big impact behind the scenes. He was very very popular. Um, you saw that yeah, when that horrible attack happened in Italy when he was on, out on loan. You saw the response from everyone at Arsenal to that. He was so popular, really well-liked, and um, and just a nice guy. And I thought that statement yesterday was a real touch of class from a very classy player, and I really hope he goes on and does, has a really good career for himself in, um, uh, in Italy. And quickly on Cesc Fabregas. Now, this is a player, I think, arguably... Oh, it's hard, but who's the greatest, who's the best Arsenal player of the Emirates era? I mean, Cesc has got to be right, right up there. I mean, Alexis Sanchez was absolutely monstrous for a time. Mesut Ozil, of course, was was excellent for for quite a bit of the time. as at Arsenal, um, not always, but excellent. But I, I think for me, Cesc and Santi Cazorla are my favourite two Arsenal players of the Emirates era. Uh, I thought they're both absolutely mercurial. I mean, Cesc, for what he did at such a young age, just an amazing footballer to watch him, to captain the team the way he did. Obviously, the way he left left a sour taste in the mouth of a lot of people, myself included, as a fan I'm talking about here.
0: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection.
1: You know, he could have handled it better. He definitely could have handled it better. But I think from Seth's point of view, obviously he'd given a lot of time to Arsenal. He'd seen, he'd carried that team for a long, long time. He knew that the club weren't investing like they should have been to give him some help. And he had a club, and he had Barcelona calling. His club, his hometown club, who were the best team in the world at the time, managed by the best manager in the world. It was very hard to say no. Like I said, he could have handled it better. I mean, he basically went on strike and that was not a good thing. Um, and it was a difficult summer for all Arsenal fans to endure. But I don't think that should take away from what he did as a player at Arsenal and what the career he's had. You know, at Barca, at Chelsea, I mean, everywhere he's gone, he's just been such a brilliant footballer. Um, and he was one of the most amazing young talents I've ever seen come through at Arsenal or anywhere. You know, he was, he was that good. He was a special generational type player and um, it's no wonder to see the career he's gone on to have and the trophies that he's won. But he has retired now, and he put that statement out on social media yesterday. So it's great sadness that the time has come to hang up his playing boots. He thanked everyone who played a long part of um, his career through the way he said he's going to carry on now, start coaching. He's been doing a lot of coaching at Arsenal already. Mikel Arteta has invited him back lots and lots of times. He's been working with the youth teams at Arsenal while he sort of builds up his coaching experience. He's going to be coaching at Como, the Italian club that he's, you know, investor in, um and it wouldn't surprise me one day to see him at Arsenal, especially if Mikel Arteta stays around. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see it happen at some point. um Not now, obviously, because he's just cutting his teeth in coaching with Comey. But if he has, if he does well, it, you know, I, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Him and Santi Cazorla ended up back at Arsenal in some capacity in terms of coaching. You know, Santi's still playing. I think still hasn't quite hung up his boots yet. Cesc has and. Uh, end of an era really but what a player um what a talent and yeah i'm sure everyone who like me watched Sess come through and watch him play the way he did um i feel very sort of fortunate that they were there to to see such an amazing talent come through okay let's move on to some of your questions and your comments shall we before we end today's episode it's an interesting one i thought from tobe Zambi he says hey charles bit of a football culture question when did this obsession and relentless following of transfers really start? Also, is there always been ITKs when it came comes to transfer rumors? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's mad. The transfer window is crazy. It gets madder every single summer. It's just, it's when he said, when did it start? When did this obsession start? I think it's obviously social media. It's a social media age before that. You know, we there wasn't anything like that for football fans to sort of, to follow every single minute detail of a transfer i think that's where the obsession comes i mean it's mad as a journalist when you you report something and the first comment underneath that it tends to be okay so what else is happening it's mad it's like there's an unquenchable thirst to know what's next um and obviously we didn't have that when when i certainly when i was younger all we had we could phone up team talk that premium phone line and get rumors that basically have just been said off the back pages of the newspaper and you know we we had to wait for the newspapers every morning to come out to read them to find out what might be happening and that was where we got our transfer rumors and transfer speculation from but it's a completely new age now and now there's just so much stuff constantly being pumped out on social media you know reporting of every single step of a transfer when to be honest there's only a couple of steps of a transfer really and that's interest um bid agreed done but now it's everything. It's like every step of a medical needs to be reported. And it's just mad. It's like this unquenchable thirst. Um, so I think that I th- I just think when you say when did it start, I just think it was the advent and the explosion of social media is when it started. And when he says there's always been ITKs when it comes to transfer rumours, I mean, not before social media. Those ITKs are just basically the journalists who are reporting stories that we'd pick up the newspapers the next morning and, and read them. Um, there was no other place really for ITKs other than word of mouth in a pub. To spread those, um, you know, rumours, speculation, whatever around, because there wasn't social media. So, uh, so thanks for that interesting one. I thought from Tobes there. Now here's one from Illuminati. It's 1968. It says, is there a chance that Raoul Waters and Miles uh, to go out on loan this year, or will holding's pretending departure, uh, pending departure, prevent Raoul from going? Um, I think there's a good chance that Raoul Walters goes out on loan this season, he's very highly rated, Mikel Arteta does like him, he's more experienced than anyone else in that sort of current crop coming through, he's obviously played some games uh, last summer in the on the tour matches as well he's always been in around the first team squad he trains a lot with the first team squad he just looks a little bit more physical than most of them so I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal move him out on loan this season and think that that would be better for his development than a season with the under 21s I don't think I mean I can't say for certain I don't think Miles will go out I just think he's still a little bit young and they'd rather keep him around give him another season because I mean Miles is still basically under 18 to play he's beginning to play in the under 21s but I think he'll have a, a season in the under-21s. I think all that current crop, Miles, Co- um, Mario, Ethan, wanyeri I think all those lot will stay around for another season. I mean, I can't say for certain, obviously, and some young, really young players have gone out on loan before. Um, but um, with like Brooks, Norton, Cuffey was a, a prime example of that. But I just feel that those three will probably stay around and have another season with the 21s just to continue their development. But Raul, I think he might well go out on loan um this summer okay here's another one from uh ncos by looks fitz hi charles thanks always for your videos i've got a question about the players who went out on loan last year i know there's a lot a lot in motion but realistically who has a chance of sticking with the club this year lukonga marquinhos trusty 15 months ago people were saying marcelo flores might be a surprise world cup call up for mexico do people at the club still think highly of him and charlie Petino, is there any chance of holding on to him thank you very much for your question here, um, OK, in terms of some of those players that you've said then I don't think any of those are going to come back and play a part this season, <laughs> I have to say. I think Le Conger will go potentially to Burnley. Uh, I think there's stuff going on with that at the moment that might well progress in the next week or so. Um, there's certainly some rumblings that, uh, that that could happen. Marquinhos, I think, will go out on loan again. I'll be surprised if he sticks around, um, especially with Reece Nelson signing a new contract. I think Marquinhos needs a good season Full season. He obviously had spent the second half of last season at Norwich, but I think he needs a full season somewhere. It doesn't have to be in England, maybe abroad, but I think he'll go out alone. I think Arsenal could well sell Austin Trusty this summer if a good bid comes in for him. Um, I did an interview of Austin not so long ago, and he said his dream was absolutely to come back and, st- and try and make his mark at Arsenal, but. I think realistically the pr- most likely option is Arsenal look to sort of make a pretty quick profit on him. Um, and he had a very good season at Birmingham last season. So they might be able to do that. Marcelo, that Arsenal taken up a two year option on his contract to extend his contract. It's not a new contract. They've just taken up the option, which is very similar. It's exactly the same as what they did with Charlie Pitino. Um I think he, I can't see Charlie, um, Marcelo sticking around this summer. I think he'll go, whether that be on loan or potentially permanent. I'm not sure. Um, it's a very similar situation to um, to Charlie. Um, it's just the sort of timings aren't quite right. I don't really see where Marcelo or Charlie's pathway is to the first team right now. Um, so it could well be that, like Charlie, who I don't, when you say, is there a chance holding on to him? I don't think so. I think Arsenal and Charlie's people are still working on getting him a move. I think something similar could happen with Marcelo. But again, with both of them, I think if Arsenal do make a permanent deal for those this summer they will there will be some sort of buyback option potentially included in both of those as well but um so yeah of, of all those players you listed i, I think we'll, i would be very surprised if any of them stick around this season in around the first team um this is an interesting one how true is the rumor that kai havertz is earning about 350k a week now i can't clarify this 100 i've seen the stories And I just don't believe, (laughs) I just can't, there isn't, I just, I mean, obviously this is basically me, this is opinion, this isn't, I wish I had the proper information to be able to give you on this one, but, you know, Arsenal very close ranks when it comes to finances and who's being paid what. I've seen this come out, I think it came out in Germany. I cannot imagine that Arsenal would be giving Kai Havertz that sort of money. He would not, uh, that's basically 100 grand more than anyone else at Arsenal is getting at the moment. And I just don't see that. You don't sign someone in and absolutely obliterate your wage structure and put him on more money than Bukayo Saka. I mean, what's Kai Havertz done to earn being Arsenal's top earner? I think he's an exciting sign and he could do very well. He's got lots of potential. But he's underperformed for Chelsea. He's not really pulled up any trees in the Premier League. So how can he walk in on 350 grand a week? I just don't, I don't buy it. I think if there is any way of him getting up to that amount of wages, I think it would be heavily incentivized. I think his basic rate would be way, way below that, you know, in and around the sort of top earners at Arsenal, but not a 100 grand more than them. So, no, I I, like I said, I can't absolutely clarify it myself, but I just don't I don't buy it. I don't think he'd be on that money. Certainly not a flat rate. I just don't I don't buy it. Okay, and finally for me, yeah, this is an interesting one. John, I was talking about Nicholas Pepe yesterday and he said, I think the last draw for Pepe um, in what I think was possibly his last match for us, some will remember it better than me. We really need a goal at the end. Pepe had a ball in open space in the final third and had an option to cross to someone for an easy goal, but instead took the ball towards the corner flag. And that was game over after the whistle. One of the coaches ran straight to him. having ran At that point, he was history. Um, yeah, I do remember this, John. It wasn't exactly like that. It was actually against Leeds, wasn't it? It was in that game when Arsenal pushed him to finish... Um, Towards the end of that season, when Arsenal pushing to finish in the top four, Arsenal two one up against Leeds. Leeds down to ten men were pushing. It was very tense. I think the keeper went up for a corner, and then Arsenal broke from that corner. and Pepe basically had an open goal. He had a long way to run. He had about he was inside his own half, um, but he had an open goal to sort of go at, But instead, he chose not to do it, and he went off towards the corner flag and lost the ball. and And it all just yeah and the coach ran on at the end. It was basically, and Arteta was, they were both staggered on the touchline about what had happened, that he didn't just go for it. Um, and I think that the point with that, and I remember the, an incident in the game against Aston Villa away earlier that season as well, when Arsenal won one nil. And in the last sort of seconds, Pepe gave away, he'd come on as a substitute and Arteta was not happy with what he'd been doing since he came on as a sub. And then in the last seconds, he gave away a really dangerous free kick, which Leno ended up doing well to push away Um, But it's those sort of instances that kind of when I talk about sort of football brain and how much Mikel Arteta values that in his players. I think those sort of instances and examples why Mikel just doesn't really trust Nicolas Pepe fully thinks he's a talented player, no doubt. But I think in terms of his trust and doing exactly what Mikel wants from his players which we know is very important for Mikel Test of the structure, is that I don't think he really has enough trust in Nicolas Pepe to pull that off in his decision-making at the pitch in high-pressure situations. But thank you very much for everyone for joining today's episode. If you've been watching this, like I said, on YouTube or if you've been listening to it on the various podcast platforms, that it is available on. Thank you very much. I hope you've all had a very, very good weekend. And uh, yeah, have a good Sunday. And I'll be back tomorrow to discuss all things Arsenal.